Our scripture reading for today comes from John 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. We have not gathered in this room to celebrate Easter since 2019. And I have to tell you that as beautiful as this sanctuary is, it looks so much better with you in it than it does empty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. yeah. I hope you'll come into this sanctuary again just a few days from now on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock when the prize-winning journalist and the cutting-edge thought leader, Krista Tippett, will present here. She will talk about remaking the world from a spiritual perspective. Krista Tippett hosts a weekly radio podcast called On Being. And a few weeks ago, someone in the church stopped me and they said, oh, you have to listen to her podcast, her interview with the prize-winning children's author, Kate D. Camillo. So I did, and in the interview, Camillo described a time when she was out on the road talking to children about books. She was speaking in South Dakota in an auditorium full of 900 children. 
She shared with these children that when she was a little girl, she was way smaller than the other kids her age, and she was very sickly, spending much of her time inside an oxygen tent just so she would be able to breathe. And she also told the kids that when she was a little girl that her parents were always arguing and that there came a point in time when her dad left the family and moved several states to the north while she and her mother moved to Florida so that perhaps her lungs could heal and she could grow stronger. And she describes feeling very ashamed and very sad and telling people in Florida, oh, oh, my dad, he's, he's coming, he's coming, but dad was not coming. After her talk to the children was complete, there was this skinny-legged, blonde-haired kid that came up and grabbed the author's hand. He said to her, I'm here in South Dakota, and my dad is over there in California. I'm here with my mom, and my dad is over there, and when I came here today, I thought I might not be okay. But you said that you are okay, so maybe I'm going to be okay too. I, I think I might be. This conversation between the children's author and the little boy reminds me of a book I read once called, How Can It Be All Right When Everything Is All Wrong? The book was written 40 years ago by a theologian named Lewis Smedes, but it could have been written today. I mean, you and I, we look around at the world, at all our problems, and we too sometimes wonder, Will it be okay? Can it be all right? I mean, can love win? What with teenage suicide on the rise, violence in our own local schools, political polarization continuing to wreak havoc in local communities and even in families with the war in Ukraine raging and skyrocketing inflation here and around the globe, with the social isolation and the loneliness that only intensified during COVID with climate change and racism, you and I, we have plenty of reasons to worry along with that little skinny-legged blonde hair boy. Are things gonna be okay? I kind of love the way that John's gospel does not begin the Easter story with a trumpet fanfare, but rather with a subdued and ominous scene of emptiness. John's picture of Easter morning mirrors the fear and the anxiety of the lives of real human beings. Mary walks slowly, ploddingly to the tomb on Easter morning. She feels depleted, empty, brokenhearted. She's still grieving. Not one part of Mary is expecting to meet the risen Christ. Not one part of her. In fact, when Mary notices that the tomb is empty, her first thought is that somebody has stolen his corpse. Somebody has taken his body, and she becomes focused on finding where they have taken him. She even runs to get Peter and the other disciple so that they can help her find his missing body, but they turn out to be no help, and they just go back to their own homes to hide. Oh yeah, they saw it. They saw the folded grave clothes 
placed like bookends on either end of the slab where Jesus' body had been laid. But they just went back home. I mean, they were just numb and hopeless. And I picture those disciples walking back home thinking, well, Rome won. Violence won. Power won. The author of all love is dead. The tomb is empty, and their lives were empty. Mary, Mary even saw two angels inside the tomb, but that was not enough to get her attention or assuage her grief. One of the happiest days of my life was also one of the saddest days of my life. When I awakened on January 23rd, 1993 in Telluride, Colorado, I was excited to get married. Friends and family from all across the country had gathered on that snow-covered mountain resort to witness our wedding. But the day was also tinged with sadness. Only a few weeks prior to the wedding had I learned that my mom and dad had decided to attend our nuptials. For a variety of reasons, my parents disapproved of our marriage. Looking back, I, I get it. I, I realize they had my own best interest at heart, but it still hurt. The distance between me and my mom and dad had widened into a painful gap, and as much as I loved Dave, I sure hated disappointing my parents. At breakfast that morning, we were cordial to one another, but the tension was so high you could have cut it with a knife. My mom and dad had made it crystal clear over the course of our engagement that they would not be paying for one penny of this wedding. And 30 minutes before I was to walk down the aisle, my dad came back to the bride's dressing room near the back of the church. He found me, he put his arm around me, he leaned in, he kissed my cheek, and he said, your mom and I love you very much. And we've already talked to that lady in charge of the reception, and she knows to bring us the bill we want to pay. And love broke through my grief, and I walked down the aisle with mascara streaming all over my face, even before I arrived to say my vows. When Mary goes to the cemetery, she too experiences a tremendous turning point. Jesus says to her, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? But she doesn't even recognize that it is Jesus. She assumes he's the gardener. Even his voice does not ring a bell for her. And then it happens. My favorite moment in John's telling of Easter. Jesus says to her, Mary. And that's when she gets it. Mary turns and says, Rabboni, which means my teacher, my master. And in that very moment, love rises up. She reaches out to embrace him because what enabled her to recognize him was not his voice, was not his face, it was not his body, it was not his gestures. It was his love. He called her by name. And then something rose up in Mary that enabled her to run from the grave to tell everyone the good news that Christ had risen. You know, 
recently, in, in the modern times, influenced by science and a host of things happening in our world, theologians like Rob Bell and Elia Delio have described God as an energy of love rather than as a physical object. And I think that this story from John's Gospel reinforces the notion of God as a mysterious force of love flowing. Now, I can't explain what happened in the cemetery that morning, but it's clear that whatever happened launched a movement that has inspired millions of people for thousands of years to go out and love and serve with courage and compassion and astounding grace. All of the Gospels say that the time between the crucifixion and the resurrection was three days. But sometimes I wonder if three days might be a metaphor. In my own life, it has sometimes seemed that it took God longer than three days to rise up. Sometimes it takes three months of lingering in the empty wasteland of grief, wondering why God feels so incredibly absent. Sometimes it takes three years, and sometimes only three hours. Issa McCauley, who teaches at Wheaton, has written, Christians, at their best, are the fools who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. We become a source of hope that did not originate in ourselves. Vaclav Havel grew up in communist Czechoslovakia. His progressive ideas about democracy and freedom propelled him. He pushed back against the Marxist regime, and in 1977, Vaclav Havel was thrown into prison for his dissident activities. Surely Havel knew the emptiness and the horror and the pain of being separated from his wife, from his family, from his friends. Surely he knew his life could end behind bars. Surely he wondered if all his passion, compassion, conviction would die there in prison. Could love win? He became quite ill in jail to the point that he almost died. And it was at that moment that he wrote a letter to his wife, Olga. He was looking out the prison fence. He was seeing in the distance the top of a green tree. And he writes in that letter to his wife that at that moment, he was overcome by a sensation. Well, he said, it's difficult to describe, but all at once, I seem to rise above the coordinates of my momentary existence. He said that he was flooded with ultimate happiness and complete harmony, and that he was somehow struck by love. Well, it's easier, isn't it, to look back and see how love did prevail in the past, and sometimes that's easier than peering into the midst of our own present struggles. Sometimes resurrection feels like an idle tale. Sometimes we are unable to see beyond our present emptiness and we wonder, can resurrection still happen? Does love still win? As you and I sit here in this gorgeous 
sanctuary, in these beautiful clothes, feasting on wonderful cinnamon rolls and whatever else the table will be set with this afternoon. 10 million people in Ukraine have already been displaced by the evil atrocities of war. It's overwhelming, isn't it? It's complicated. Where is God's love rising up in the midst of the pain there? Let me tell you a story I read recently about Shanna. She was born in the Ukraine, but when she was seven years old, her parents divorced, and she never saw her father again. As a college student, she participated in an international exchange program that brought her to New York City, and she ended up relocating in New York and building a career in the fashion industry. But last year, she went through kind of a spiritual awakening, a period of reflection, and she decided she wanted to meet her dad. And so in December, she boarded a plane to Ukraine to visit her father. They met at a public cafe. And when she saw him there in the cafe, she broke down into tears. Her father embraced her and explained that he had never, ever given up hope that this moment might happen. After 30 years apart, Shanna learned that her father had not ever wanted to be estranged from her, but at the time of the divorce, he had respected the mother's wishes. Then she went to her father's house. And she discovered that her dad had kept her room exactly as it was when she was seven. He had never stopped loving her. She said it was the most powerful moment in her life. Well, you know what happened next. Russia threatened to invade. The war broke out and her dad insisted that she get out of Ukraine. So she borrowed a car. She drove 24 hours until she reached the border, and she did not cross. She turned around. She went into the western part of Ukraine. She joined those providing humanitarian aid. She was one of those people, is one of those people today, on the ground trying to get the supplies where they are needed most. She has raised $2 million and $200,000 worth of medical supplies and food. She's helping ambulances and tourniquets get to the places they are needed most. She's helping toys and crayons get to the children who are displaced. Why? If you ask her, she will say it was for love. She could not dare cross the border and go back to her normal life in New York, knowing that the people she loved were enduring a war. And if you ask me, I would say that there is no place so dark or so empty that God's miracle of love will not rise up. <laughs>